Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Tommy Jones. I am so glad you're joining me today. This is a special series that I'm calling Things You Probably Shouldn't Discuss at the Dinner Table. Over the next three episodes, I'm going to be in conversations with Jeff Jones. Jeff is the founding pastor of Grace Church here in East End. He's the pastor of Grace Community Church in Fort Smith. And above those things, he's my brother. He and I are going to wade into some pretty important waters as we discuss the Bible and human sexuality, God and your money, and finally the church and politics. I was challenged by these conversations. I grew from them, and I hope you're challenged, and I hope you grow from them. I hope you're more willing to hear some ideas outside the box. As always, this is Off the Cuff. Let's dive in and see where we end up. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy that you have decided to join me today. I'm excited about this show. Uh, This was one that I had sort of dreamed about and thought about even before I recorded the first one. So today I have a guest with me, and this guest is one you have no doubt heard of. He is one of the authors of The Purpose Driven Life. He was actually the brains behind the Chosen series. Uh, he ran the mile in under four minutes, and he is probably he's won the Scripps Howard Spelling Bee nine years straight. Give it up for my guest, Jeff. Jeff, you want to introduce yourself? None of that stuff is true, first off. None just, of, yes, none of, none of that stuff Tommy just said is true about me. None of those things are true. None well, of, none of those things are true. I mean, I feel like there are some good things he could have introduced. I mean, I feel like I've done a couple of things in life, yet I've done none of those things he just mentioned. Right. So uh, we have no budget for guests, and occasionally I'm reminded of that, and this is another one of those moments. All right, for real, this is my brother, Jeff Jones. Many of you have heard me talk about him uh, a bazillion times in church. He was the founding pastor of Grace Church. That is true. And now he's the pastor of Grace Community Church in Fort Smith. And so he is joining me today to have a conversation with you about uh, something that's super topical right now in the world. Probably always has been. But before you do that, Jeff, kind of give them a bring them in. I like to bring people into the space. This is your first experience with the Tommy Jones studio. If you could just sort of explain the feel in here. It is great to be in the closet with Tommy right now, though this is probably not an ideal environment for this conversation to take place, as he's telling me I'm supposed to look into the microphone, which has me looking at a white wall about a foot in front of my face. He's over here to my right, and so it's it's uh, it's an interesting environment to be in. And uh, But I'm glad to be here because I'm one of Tommy's top fans of the podcast, love what he's done. Uh, he's He's changing a generation through these messages that he's been sharing right here. And I am truly humbled to get to be in this space with him right now uh, to, to see where it's all happening right now. This yeah. is one of the movements of, 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 of what God is doing in the world right now. Yeah. The big things right now are the Asbury Revival and Tommy's podcast. Exactly. And the order just depends on who you talk to on any given day. There's Andy Stanley, Controversial Statements, Asbury Revival, and Tommy's podcast. And it really just... Depends. Yes. Uh, does the amount of chemicals in the closet bother you as you look around? <laughs> the amount of chemicals in the closet is slightly worrying it's unusual, uh, for my for my future health. But I know yeah. that people have been clamoring, Tommy, for you and I to get back together. Clamoring. Chris, Christianity Today uh, has been asking us to do some more stuff after our Bible studies we've done. So I feel like it is good to give the people what they want occasionally. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and, and Jeff and I are going to tread on some interesting waters over the next uh, few podcast sessions together and we're, we're going to start today and we'll jump in we'll jump into it because i know you're all ready for us to talk about what we came here to talk about but 
we're going to start today with a topic that um, I would say is, is divisive, uh, to say the least. I would say one of the, what we're going to talk about today is there's a myriad of voices on this subject, and today's subject is human sexuality. All right, so let, let's sort of frame this conversation like this, Jeff. I think this will be an interesting conversation for us to have. Um, and this has happened to me, and I'm willing to bet it's happened to you. Let's have a conversation around sexuality where we answer a question we've actually been asked before. And I have. And again, I'm thinking you probably have to. Here's the scene. A teenager, young adult, whatever, male, woman, I guess it doesn't matter what age they are. They walk into your office and they say, I'm hearing a lot of messages. I'm even having, maybe, maybe they're even having some thoughts or some confusion or something like that. And they say, help me understand the biblical outlets for human sexuality. Help me understand what the Bible says I'm supposed to do with my sexuality or the choices I have. Could you explain that to me, Pastor Jeff? How do you answer that question for that man, woman, or child? Right. Great question. I think the first thing to clarify that I always want to do is is to talk first to them about who is Jesus to them. I don't want to take that for granted. You're asking me a question, but who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? That's great. And do you believe that the Bible is the authority on what is true and right and good? So I want to have that conversation. That's the most important conversation to have first. And so I'm just assuming that this young person who's coming to me says, yes, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I believe that uh, the Bible uh, guides me in what to believe about these issues. Then I'm going to tell Hold on. That's important. That's a great point because I don't think I did that. In my, They come in and say, and my first question should be, okay, listen, is, is your highest desire to give Christ the rule and reign of your life. Because if so, that that affects these things, right? So that's a, all right, that's a great start. So the, the person, kid, says, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life. More than anything, I want to honor God, even with my sexuality, even though I'm hearing these thoughts and I've got these questions, blah, blah, blah. So yes, their answer is yes. Right. Great. Then I'm going to tell them that sex is a wonderful thing. Yes. Uh, it is a God-created thing, and that God created sex to enhance the marriage and to help couples experience oneness. Uh, it's the way that God intends to bring more people into the world through sex. Uh, God gave sex to couples who are married to reduce sexual temptation. He gave them sex so that they could experience pleasure and the celebration of joy. Uh, their sexual life is meant to model God's exclusive loyalty within the marriage. And I'm going to be very intentional about that when I'm talking to young people. And I encourage parents to be very intentional to talk about sex first. It's important you talk about it, but always lay it back into the context of marriage. Within marriage, this is what sex does. But it's a powerful thing. Uh, God intended for sex to be powerful. It's like a chainsaw. Uh, you can use a chainsaw to cut down a tree, or you can use it in the chainsaw massacres kind of thing. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, you can use fire, whatever, something right. powerful. And I often do this when I'm talking to young people is, is I'll pull out a, a chainsaw and I'll say, hey, you know, you could use this for good or evil. Uh, sex is that same way. And so we see 
sex's profound beauty. We also see sex's profound uh, destructive consequences when used outside of God's guidelines. So I'm going to encourage them to recognize that sex is a wonderful and beautiful thing when used within the bounds of marriage. Right. And so one of the outlets for human sexuality that you would describe to this young person is sex inside of a monogamous uh, male-female covenantal relationship, correct? Correct. Everything else is a rejection of God's plan. Okay. There is one place. Right. So then what would be the, is there any other option? Is that, is that, is that my only option? You can have sex uh, within a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, or you can be celibate, which means not having sex and single. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at, too, because that's the one I think that's been under, un, I mean, like, it's become devalued, especially Americanized. You're married and happy having sex, or you're miserable. Right. Like, that's it. That's the only two options, right? Yeah. And <laughs> how did a people whose greatest example of a person who lived a full life and that person was single, I'm talking about Jesus, who never had sex and was never married, how do followers of Jesus then not give that uh, option to people to uh, f to live a single life, a, which is not a less than life? Right. That's good. Yeah, no, single, I'm sorry, single life is not a less than life. It's not a less than life. Uh, Paul talked about singleness as being a gift. Uh, singleness gives more opportunities, and that's something that we have not always encouraged and set before young people and told them some of them are going to be called to be single. And there have been times in the past in the church when we held up people like that. Parents were excited if their child became a priest or a monk, and you told people, and it was a place of honor. Now, if a child would come to their parent and say, I believe that God has called me to be single so that I will not be distracted by anything else, and I can give full devotion to God in that way. Um, I'm not sure most of us would be super excited. Oh, no, we would act like they were. you're not going to experience life. Uh, and by the way, I don't think you have to be a priest or a monk to carry this out. You can live right. a single life, absolutely celibate life. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think Paul preferred single and celibate. And I'm not saying that's right, but Paul was kind of like, listen, be single if you can. But if you're burning with lust, then get married. And that's kind of how Paul put it. And I, I think you and I think marriage is more than that. But I think um, this idea that I'm going to devote my whole life, my full focus to serving God, so I'm going to remain single, is not secondary. It's not, it's not settling. It's a wonderful, beautiful, God-honoring choice. As a matter of fact, unless you're getting married for the purpose of honoring God with your marriage, it might even be a suggested choice. Because if you're getting married for the purpose of being happy or something like that, you and I both know marriage is not the fulfillment of all happiness. Right, and I think mo many people, even in the church, although we're both happily married, right. I didn't mean we're very happily married. We're very happily married. We're both happily married. But yeah, yeah, I think many people, even in the church, are not operating from a biblical foundation for marriage. We're operating from the cultural uh, definition of marriage, which is uh, marriage is a legal contract between two people who make each other happy. Right. And that's not at all a biblical definition of marriage. And, and, and a biblical def definition of marriage that I have tweaked from Preston Sprinkle says that marriage is a one flesh, lifelong union between two sexually different people on a mission from God to reflect God's character and give visible illustration to Christ's love for the church. 
That's the purpose of marriage right yeah. there. Um, and it's a calling from God to give witness to God and to give illustration of Christ's love for the church in a specific way. Some people are called to be married. Other people are called to be single. Sometimes that singleness is for a season. Uh, sometimes that singleness is for a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, but, but that single call is there. Yeah, that's good. Let, let, let me share how I've answered the question sure. since I put you on the spot too. One of the first questions I always ask is, okay, are you asking me how far you can go or how holy you can be? Because now those are two different questions. If you want to come to me and say, all right, what's, what's okay for me sexually? Typically, and guys, I remember when I was 16, I went to a pastor, I'm not going to say his name, uh, but I went to a pastor to talk to him about some sexual stuff. And his answer to me was basically, hey, God put women on the earth for a reason. I don't think that was a great answer. Matter of fact, that's probably the last thing a young Tommy Jones needed to hear. I can promise you that. But what I was really wanting to know is, how far can I go? And God still love me. Well, let me answer that for you. You can never outrun the love of God. There's no distance you can go. So that that's one. But if the question is, I want to, like Jeff said, I want to honor God with my life. I want to serve God. I, I want to be holy and righteous before the King. Then I normally actually draw out two circles, and the circles are the same size. And inside of one circle is a, a male-female covenantal relationship where two come together for the purpose of imaging one, and that's called marriage. That's what we, as Christians, followers of Christ, that's how we define marriage, that two come together for the purpose of imaging one. And through that, not only does the world sort of see a, a triune God where two distinct make up one but they also see the image of Christ and the way he loved his church. So that's option one. Option two is single and celibate. And they're equal, and they're both beautiful, and they're both God-honoring, and they're both amazing. And sometimes they're even seasonal. Sometimes there's a season where, uh, you know, it, it would be better that you were single, and sometimes there's a season than when you're married. And Now, once you're in the married season, I think biblically we're supposed to stay in it, but that's sort of how I describe it, um, and that may sound overly simplistic. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of complication, and the other thing I always say is, I know we've all been outside of the circle at some point in our lives, and so I know, you know, in my earlier days, I spent a tremendous amount of time outside of the circle that God wanted for me, and I've repented of those things and and turned, and 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 so now I'm, you know, Christy and I. Uh, are in a marriage where we're trying to pursue God together and we're trying to image Christ for the world. But I, I want people to understand just because you're outside of those two circles, it doesn't mean you're outside of the church. And it doesn't mean you're outside of God's love. It means you are not experiencing, in, in, in my opinion, uh, as I understand the Bible, you're not experiencing the fullness of God's plan for human sexuality that he laid out. And so that's the conversation I would have. So, you know, if you're sending me your son or daughter to have that conversation, I want you to know that's where I'm going. And so is, is that a fair assessment, Jeff? Yeah, I think that's great. But I also want to say I think that's oftentimes the problem is that they're sending their children to someone else rather than mm. having the conversation themselves. And I just want to say a word to parents. Come on. Parents, you have to have this conversation. We do a, a, a human sexuality class for our kids at church. But we've really been trying to harp on parents. You have to be the one to have this conversation. Nobody else can take the place of a parent. Nobody else will be there. 
uh, all those times in the child's life when they're going to want to know about this. And it's big, important that you have it early, uh, that you talk about it frequently. Uh, the Deuteronomy 6 says on the road while you're going, everybody around your child is talking about sex all the time. Right. And nobody's giving a biblical view of sex. But for many of you parents, you're going to have to learn what you think first right. and, and, and understand what you think so that you can communicate to your children because everyone else is, is teaching this. When you talk to many, I'm 52. When you talk to many people my age and you say, what did your parents teach you about sex? Um, the answer for most people is nothing. Right. Now, it's not the case in our home. No, no we, we came from a house where sex was celebrated a little bit. <laughs> we knew, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> just is what it is. It wasn't a taboo subject in our house. Right, right. And not a, mom and dad didn't have to spend my life telling me what they were against because I saw what they were for. And what they seemed to be for was a, you know, a enjoyable union uh, where they would be together and send us away and we would know what was going on. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I think that's healthy. It is absolutely healthy for children to know their parents have sex and that they enjoy having sex. Yes. That's not an unhealthy thing. Right. Uh, that's a positive thing. And right now, you're turning down the volume, aren't you, in your car? <laughs> you're turning it down because you're scared. <laughs> Which is funny because the only place where we're not talking about sex is at church for the most part. Right. It's, it, everywhere else, uh, it, it's immersed in there. And I just think there's so many things that parents can do so that your kids know it's okay to talk to you about sex. Right. Use correct terms for body parts uh, when, when your children are growing up. Don't, mm -hmm. uh, don't say there are unmentionable parts to you. Give those parts names that are appropriate. Uh, I would say them, but I don't know what our, we're allowed to say in Tommy's podcast. But give appropriate names to your child's body. Throw part. a few out, and I'll tell you when you've gone too far. <laughs> no, it's, I think they probably get it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's a real good word. And I think prepare for this conversation. When your kids ask you, what is sex? Do you like it? Uh, you know, what do I do with those feelings? You want them to have these conversations with you above anybody else. Yeah. And since, since we're hitting parenting, I know this is off the cuff. I love it. But one of the things that I'm trying to instill in my children and I have them, and this has been important to us, people who don't share your sexual ethic are not your enemy. They're not destroying marriage. They're not uh, ruining your world. They're not, they're not an enemy. They are a people to be loved. And Simply because they don't share your value in this area does not mean that they are somehow, you know, bad people or evil people. It's, I, I want my kids to learn to love people. This whole hate the sin, love the sinner thing that we've thrown around for so long, I, I just don't think that really, the sin you should hate the most is whatever sin is separating you from God. That's the sin you should hate the most. And so be careful how you speak in front of your children about people who don't share your ethic on something because it really tends to poison the well. And we are called to be a people who love people above all things. And so uh, Jeff and I talked about this too. How you believe is as important as what you believe. Absolutely. Yeah. I think teaching your kids that it is a sin to make fun of others, to be disrespectful, to belittle is as important as teaching them uh, what sexual purity looks like. Mm. Your children are going, our children are going to have to engage with a, in a culture that does not agree with our uh, view of human sexuality. And 
Uh, they need to know that all those people are not their enemy. They're people Christ died for. They're people they're called to love and to serve. But we are called to be a unique, special people, and we are not like everybody else. I tell the young people at our confirmation class that we're like, um, we're like the, the Buddhist monks who wear orange robes and shave their heads. Um, very few people hate Buddhist monks. Right. I don't know. Do you meet people who hate Buddhist monks? I went to a Buddhist temple when I was doing my seminary because I got to do a cross-cultural experience. They were fascinatingly kind, pleasant humans. Right. But <laughs> if you're going to be a Buddhist monk, you shave your head and right. you wear an orange robe. Right. I don't know that much about Buddhist monks. Okay, so I could be totally wrong. But it's the extent of our knowledge. Yeah, right there. You know, if our understanding of following Jesus leads to a certain sexual ethic, we understand we live in a culture that does not agree with us. Um and so what we want to live as beautiful, bold examples of what we believe the kingdom of God is all about, even as we love and serve and are kind to those who, yeah. who live different lives than we do. Yeah, that's good. And, and, you know, part of following Jesus for us means living a life that's not only countercultural, but sometimes it's counter-desire. We were all born with certain desires and inclinations, and sometimes following Jesus isn't just moving against the current of society. It's moving against the current of your own in, inert, I think it's that word, inherent sinful human desires. There's so many areas of my life where, uh, at least for a period, now eventually I think God begins to change the desires of your heart, but sometimes he might not. And still we choose obedience over our heart's desire. And so it's not just counter-cultural, it's counter-heart. Sometimes it's counter, you know, that whole, oh, just your heart told you, follow your heart. That's the worst Disney advice absolutely. in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This makes me think of walking out of a conference called Revoice. And the Revoice conference is for Christians who experience same-sex attraction, but believe in the historic biblical sexual ethic, that there's one place for a sex between a man and a woman who are in a, in a marriage. And I walked out of this conference with another guy, and there was a person who would consider themselves a Christian standing on the corner who yelled at us, y'all are going to hell. And I just thought, is that effective? Um, and, and I just threw it in my mouth. Is, is, I honestly did. Yeah, I mean— it drives me is, nuts. Is that effective way to reach out to the world? I don't think so. And so, yeah, let's be different. Yeah. The climate we live in is angry, ranting. Christians have a great opportunity to be distinct and different in an angry culture. Amen. We're going to come back to that topic in another podcast, by the way. All right, well, guys, well, this was fun. Um, I think we laid out uh, at least something to think about, something to chew on as you talk to your kids and as you engage with culture and each other. Uh, as always, if you agree, disagree, have thoughts, questions, comments, Tommy at thegracechurch.net, you're welcome to email me. Um, if it's rude, then um, I won't respond. But if it's kind, I will. <laughs> so that's, just, that's sort of how it goes. But I'd love to hear from you. Uh, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for a little bit. Thank you for tuning in to Off the Cuff. And thank you, Jeff, for your time. Um, although based on the lack of bio you have, your time is not all that. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty free. So I'm um, glad Jeff was here. Love you guys. And I cannot wait to talk to you again. This is Off the Cuff. Jones out.